This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, people, time for another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here. It is the night before the beginning of the U.S. Open. What a week it's been with the Western and Southern Open. The tournament normally played in Cincinnati, played at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. That's the home, of course, of the U.S. Open. I just got let out of there a little bit early today uh, in my work with ESPN as we get set for two weeks, first ball, the last ball. So I got a little bit of a window here, a little bit of time to talk about what we should expect, what's happening with the U.S. Open. Uh, There's so many issues flying around outside the court as well. Of course, uh, Naomi Osaka... Uh, announcing after her quarterfinal win in the Western Southern Open that she was going to pull out of her semifinal match to protest the racial injustice uh, and the issues that are uh, going on in this country. More power to her. I mean, she's a stand-up person. She's 22 years old. She is realizing what it's like to be in the spotlight, to be a woman of color, uh, multiracial background with her dad being Haitian, her mom's Japanese. She's basically lived her whole life in the United States and Florida. So she's uh, grabbing this mantle as a spokesperson and following the lead of the NBA players when they made their move to uh, decide to stop their their playoff games for a couple of days. So they're back playing now. Uh, The ATP, the WTA, they're the two tours, the men's tour, the ATP, the WTA, of course, the women's tour, and the USTA, who is running the Western and Southern Open and, of course, running the U.S. Open. They all agreed. uh, Apparently, they'd already been in discussions before Naomi made her decision after her quarterfinal win that they were going to do something. Uh, But I think there's no doubt in my mind that Naomi sort of pushed the envelope in, in a very positive way for the tournament to take a break to stop play, to pause play on Friday as they did, and then resume the tournament the following day. So that's what happened. Osaka ended up winning her semifinal match, and then she tweaked her hamstring late in that match. She actually said afterwards that she'd felt it earlier in the tournament as well. So she unfortunately had to withdraw before the championship match on Saturday yesterday against Victoria Azarenka. She's had a great story herself coming back and winning the title after all that she's been through being a mother um, having issues with the father of the child over the last couple of years. So she's had to deal with all sorts of issues, some we know about, some we don't know about, but clearly it's been extremely difficult for her. And it's certainly nice to see her back playing the kind of tennis, Back, nice seeing her with a smile on her face while she's competing as well. And uh, she's got to be one of the people to talk about as we look ahead to the, to the women's field. So I'm going to uh, break down a little bit the women's draw for you at the moment. As I said, there's a lot of issues going on outside uh, the courts themselves with the men's tour looking to maybe form their own player union. So that's been a big topic in the last 24 hours. But let's talk about the tennis for a minute because a lot of you uh, are asking me questions as I, I asked on Twitter what you'd like to hear me discuss as we look ahead to the U.S. Open. A lot of people want to know, will it make a big difference with no fans? Uh, for the most, I mean, to make a big difference for the pleasure of watching the matches, as far as will it make a huge difference in the outcome of the, the, the competition? In other words, will it, will it readily affect uh, matches, match in and match out? For the most part, 
I would say I don't think it will. I mean, I think the better players will will normally win. Certainly players that have more experience playing on the big stage. Uh, so if you look at the women's field, obviously Serena comes to mind. Osaka comes to mind uh, as players that are used to dealing with the serious pressure situation at the, and the crowd. Angeli Kerber, no one's really talking about her. She's won a couple of majors, you remember, including beating Serena a couple of times. So probably... Um, you know, we saw in the Western and Southern Open on the women's side, there were there were quite a few upsets, but I'm not sure that's that surprising anyway because in the women's game, uh, I mean, Brad Gilbert, my buddy at ESPN, likes to say there, he thought there were 30 different players that could win the tournament. Now he's upping it to 50. I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, you could certainly make a case that there's really no odds-on favorite. I mean, Osaka's the betting favorite at the moment, obviously, depending on her physical uh, conditioning. Serena right there as well. Maybe you make Serena the favorite. I mean, we've, you saw Serena's competitiveness in, in the last couple of weeks. She also played in Lexington a couple of weeks ago where she beat her sister, lost uh, eventually to Jennifer Brady, who ended up winning that tournament. Uh, and then Serena sort of went away in that, that loss she had against Sakari, the uh, player from Greece, who's a very, very athletic player, very strong, very fit, very quick. Uh, Serena had a chance to win it in straight sets. It slipped away, and she sort of lost, lost it mentally in that final set and uh, basically gave up, which, I mean, you never see Serena do. Uh, now, can you say if there, were a if there were a crowd there, would she have done that? Good question. Probably not. Uh, but, you know, when she gets to the U.S. Open uh, and plays an Arthur Ashe Stadium, even with no fans – Remember, Serena's playing, I think, continuing to play for really one reason. That's to try to tie and break the record of Margaret Court. She's got 23 major singles titles. She's desperately trying to get number 24. She's been close a couple of times since she's come back after having her child. Uh, so I think that's what continues to drive her. I mean, she looks to be in very good shape, good condition, uh, but she doesn't have the dominance factor that she had when she was in her prime. She, can she still win it? Of course she can. And, and, and many think that she's the favorite. So I don't think that the, the, the crowd in some ways, certainly over the years, has helped Serena. I mean, she does feed off the crowd, uh, but she's so super intense and so competitive that I think she can feed off of her own intensity as well. Uh, although if you look at the soccer match, you would say it's hard to imagine Serena would would kind of give up the way she did in in a match with twenty some thousand people watching her inside Arthur Ashe Stadium. It's almost like they'd will her not to do that. But uh, you got to put her as 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 one of the favorites. Pliskova is the number one seed. You say maybe it's a chance for her. I mean, it's a crapshoot to me. I mean, she's a top seed. She's been in the U.S. Open final. She's beaten Serena here in New York before. Um, but she's, she just hasn't quite been able to get over the finish line when it really matters. Uh, that doesn't mean it can't happen here. The conditions, as we talked about during the Western and Southern, pretty quick. The courts are playing pretty fast, which should help her because she's got, outside of Serena, the best serve in the women's game. Uh, she can hit with power. She, she moves okay. Uh, but I think the fast courts should be, be pretty good for her. Now, she's got Jennifer Brady possibly in the third round who had that big win in Lexington. She's the athletic American that played college tennis at UCLA. Kerber is in that section as well. I'd look out for her. If Angie Kerber can get it going, I mean, she could lose in the first round to Tomjanovic. That's tomorrow, one of the early matches in the day because Kerber hasn't played that much uh, since the pandemic. 
So she, but she's the type of player that if she can get on a roll and get into it, get into the tournament, um, you know, she's been there, done that. So I would look out for her. I noticed the odds. They sent out the odds, and she was like a 32 to 1, you know, not even in the top 10. Of, so, you know, to me, that could be worth, worth a shot. Osaka's also in the top half of the draw. She's the number four seed. So uh, most would say she's a favorite to get through to the final from the top half of the draw. And I think if she's healthy, that'll happen. Um, you've got some interesting floaters in the top half as well. Um, you've got CC Bellis, who's in the top of the draw, could play Pliskova early. And then you've got, of course, Coco Goff, uh, who had the great run at Wimbledon last year, um, took New York by storm last year. She's only 16, so she hasn't looked that great in the, in the matches we've seen her play since uh, the pandemic ended. And she's got a tricky match in the opening round against a 31-seed Sevastova, who, if you remember, has reached a U.S. Open semifinals. She's a crafty player, plays a lot of slice on the backhand. Uh, and Goff is, a, to me, a player that could really be hurt by the fact that there's no crowd because she's, you know, responds to the crowd. She's young, um, and she's got a, still a few hiccups in her game. The serve has looked dodgy. The forehand's been a bit shaky here and there as well. Um, so she's not going to have the crowd to sort of fall back on to help her through. The other player I should mention, there's a couple other ones, but Kvitova is in, the, in this top half of the draw as well. She's a sixth seed. She's won a couple Wimbledon titles. She will love the quick conditions. Again, she's up and down. Historically, she's never played great in New York with the wind, the heat, um, but she'll likely play on probably one of the two main courts, you would think, Asher Armstrong. So there's not as much of a win factor um, in those stadiums as there can be on the outer court. So she could be um, certainly a, a factor. Contivates in this section. She's got a tough one, though, against another college player who played in college, Danielle Collins at UVA. She dropped a bit in the rankings. Uh, she had a great year last year. Remember, she got to the Australian Open semis. So a couple dangerous floaters in that top section of the draw as well. All right, let's look at the bottom half of the women's draw. You've got Madison Keys. I see right at the top. She's a seven seed. She looked very scratchy at the Western and Southern Open, the uh, Cincinnati event that was played in New York. So she actually has a pretty decent draw uh, to get through where she would do to meet Mugadutha. That would be the, the first big seed she's due to play in the round of 16. Too tough to predict with Keys. I actually think the faster conditions you would think would be good for her because she's got a big game and a big serve, but I'm not sure because she's got big takes back, take backs on the, on the forehand backswing. She needs a little time to create that speed, so I think she might be one of those players that you would think would do better on the quick courts, but I'm not so sure. I think she likes the ball to sit up as well. She's a good mover, but not a great mover. Remember, players that move extremely well and can stay low to the ground and can counterpunch well often benefit a lot more from a quick court, particularly on the women's side where the serve is not as big of a factor. So that's why I say someone like Angie Kerber, with her ability to counterpunch, stay low, and move well and redirect the ball, oftentimes those types of players benefit a lot more from a quicker court. You've got Sakari in the, in the bottom half of the draw as well, and Isamova, the young American, they are, would be due to meet in the third round. It'll be a heck of a matchup. How about this section? Serena versus Sloane Stevens, okay, in the third round to play Sakari Anisimova to play Keys Muguruza just to get to the semis. So that's like a that that section is 
is loaded right there. Serena's got Christiane, American, who's from New Jersey. I remember watching her play as a teenager um, when I first took the USCA job. She's a great kid, went to Stanford. So, of course, that's a soft place in my heart uh, who played college ball there at Stanford. It's nice to see some college players, by the way, on the women's side. Brady, I mentioned. Danielle Collins. Christiane. So we're seeing a few more. It used to be there were no women players from college that made it to the big time, that made it to the majors. That's starting to change, which is a great sign. College tennis, a whole other issue. I could do a whole podcast on that. I will at the right time. A lot of people uh, tweeting me, PMAC, you got to do something on college tennis because you know uh, programs are, are leaving uh, the, in the college tennis world. So I'll, I'll get into that at some point. But right now, it's about U.S. Open. Let me continue with the bottom half of the women's draw. You've got Sabalenka in there. Uh, she's the five seed. You've got then Kennan. Okay, let's talk about Son- Son- Sonia Sophia, whatever you want to call her, who won the Australian Open. She is a battler. I mean, she's the two seed. Of course, we're missing a lot of the top uh, women players um, because of the COVID pandemic not making their way here. Kennan, though, she won the only major played this year. Okay, beat Muguruza in the final. Um, look, if she gets it going... There's no, there's no reason she can't make another run. I think the quicker court's not bad for her as well. She's got great hands, amazing feel. Look out, though, for Layla Fernandez, young Canadian, very talented young player. They could play in round number two. That would be very interesting. And here's a floater. I just saw her as James Blake and I, who's joining our ESPN team, which I'm super pumped about. He and I, we, we had our little audio test with uh, all the different commentary booths with our entire team. So we were walking back from Armstrong Stadium where we were in our place. Everyone goes to the different positions, and we do it basically a test the day before the tournament. So James has joined us, which I'm super excited about. James, you know, played Davis Cup when I was a captain, and he is deal, dealing with this racial issue that's going on. He did a, a great spot with us on ESPN. Uh, I knew his dad, who was an African-American. His mom's an uh, English woman, a white woman. And James is one of these stand-up guys. There is so well-spoken, great guy. So I'm, I'm excited that he's part of our team. Anyway, we were walking back, and who do we see right in front of the, uh, the main entrance to Arthur Ashe Stadium? There's a big area for the players to go. There's a gym. There's an outdoor gym. Uh, there's miniature golf. There's little mini tennis courts. There's a basketball hoop. Kim Kleisters, okay, was there. So we stopped and had a nice chat with Kim, who is back. Okay, she's a mom. Her kids, her family's not in the bubble with her. She told us they're still in New Jersey. Um, she had a bit of an injury, a stomach issue last week for the Western so that She played in world team tennis. Uh, in the bubble that they had in World Team Tennis and played tremendously well. So she's got a seed, Ekaterina Alexandrova, who's a 21 seed, in her first round. So she could lose that, obviously. With you know, We don't know how match tough she is, but she said she feels good. She's ready to go. Uh, she could play Elise Mertens, who was a player that Osaka beat in the semifinals of the Western and Southern. She's a very tough competitor. So you look at the women's field, Clearly wide open. I think Serena's got actually a pretty tough draw when you look at some players that can give her trouble. I mean, if Sloane Stevens is on and playing well, she's got the defensive skills and the movement to, to give Serena trouble uh, on this court this year at Arthur Ashe and being a little bit quicker than it's been in years past. Then you've got 
Keys, maybe Muguruza, Sakari in this section, uh, Kennan in the semifinals. Look, we all know if Serena plays her A game, she'll probably win. Um, but it's unlikely, I would say, that's going to happen match in, match out. So Serena's going to have to find her a way uh, in a match or two that she's not playing her best to dig it out, unlike she did or attempted to do against Sakari uh, this past week. Of course, uh, Serena's known for her intensity and her effort and her competitive. So you would expect that at the U.S. Open she will do that. She's made the sacrifice, as all the players have to be here. The USTA, you got to give them credit, doing a heck of a job uh, keeping, well, pretty much all the players, most of the players safe, not all. I'll get into that in a second. Um, but the, the players ready to go. Uh, they've been in the bubble, most of them, for at least a week, maybe longer. Uh, and it's go time for the U.S. Open. Day one is tomorrow. All right, now time to move to the men's side where it's, uh, well, it's not quite as complicated on the court. Okay, Novak Djokovic, we know, clear, solid favorite. And by the way, he'd be the clear favorite, not as solid of a favorite if Mr. Nadal were here and if Mr. Federer were here. Of course, Roger not here because of a knee injury, so he's still recovering from that. Nadal electing not to come across because of the pandemic and because of his own concerns about his body, I believe, and he will gear himself up to play on the red clay and look to win another French Open title. So, But most of the news in the last 24 to 48 hours has come off the court. And Djokovic uh, leading a charge to form a professional tennis player association, which is essentially a player union, okay? And that would be leaving the auspices of the ATP. The ATP is a men's tour, the Association of Tennis Professionals. What most people don't realize is that it's not a player union. It's an association that's a combination of the tournaments, okay, on the ATP tour and the players. So do the players have a say? Yes, they have a say. There's a player council. There's a player representative on the board. Um, so they do have a say. Do they have the ultimate power? I would say no. Okay, so this has been, by the way, been, been talked about for many, many years, including by yours truly, is the players need to form their own union to be the voice of the players. Now, the ATP Tour, of course, they strive to do that, and in some ways they do do that. But when, you, when you're also a, an association that's dealing with the tournaments and the tournament directors, you know, their agenda is not always the same. As a play. Now, they have a lot of challenges, too, because most tournaments on the tour uh, can barely make money, or even, you know, especially in these times. Uh, the big tournaments, the Masters events, they, they do make money. They don't make it nearly as much money as the majors do, okay, the four Grand Slams, but they're successful. And part of the reason they've been successful over the years is because they have great spots on the calendar. Most of them have been able to go beyond just a one-week event, so to 10 days, maybe up to two weeks, or close to two weeks if you include the qualifying. Um, and, they've, and they've been able to have the men and the women play together. Now, I'm just going to tell you straight up, okay, because I'm all for the women and men playing together and getting equal prize money, which they do in all the majors, but they didn't always get that in the majors. The U.S. Open was the first one to do that. It took Wimbledon years of pressure from the outside world for them to, to come to the table and say, okay, we're going to give women the same prize money as men. Now, if you're a male tennis player 
Um, and then you're not Andy Murray, who's an unbelievable supporter of women's tennis. Uh, there are men, male players in the locker room that feel like, wait a second, how come we get the short end of the stick in that the women get paid the same as we do, but we bring in more revenue and more economics, you know, positive economic numbers to tournaments, whether it's sponsorship, whether it's television rights, whether it's tickets prices. If you go to the, you know, the, the sites of the majors in a normal year, the ticket prices for the men's semis and men's finals are normally higher than they are for the women. So it's a supply and demand thing. Now, all that being said, my humble opinion is that it is awesome that tennis has men and women playing together on equal footing and the men and women working together as was talked about early in the pandemic, meaning combining the tours, I think is a great thing. Tennis is the only, I mean, let's be honest. Tennis is the only sport, the only big time international sport where men and women are essentially playing on the same field from a financial perspective. I mean, you look at the female soccer players you know the u.s soccer team has won how many world cups in a row and they get paid you know pittance compared to what the men's soccer team they say how come we don't get paid as much well the the reason they don't get paid as much is because they don't bring in as much revenue from an economic standpoint now maybe that'll change and if it does change absolutely they should get paid more the wnba I mean, they took a stand as well, by the way, with the NBA and more power to them because those players, the best in the world, and we've got, we, the United States has always had the best um, basketball players, male and female, um, throughout our history, and they dominate um, in, in the Olympics and so on, uh, the women do, but they don't get paid anywhere near what the men do in the NBA, okay? Um, and why is that? Because they're... Be, because the economics of it. So tennis, you look at the top, the highest paid female athletes in the world, it's either eight or nine of the top 10 are tennis players. So I'm just throwing that out there because I think that's a positive for tennis overall. Tennis should be extremely proud of that, that that happens, has happened. We can thank Billie Jean King for that. We mostly, um, that the men and women play on equal footing. So the men led by Djokovic, Vasek Pospisil, who was also on the player council. He's a Canadian tennis player, great doubles player, good singles player. Um, they basically have been working behind the scenes to try to get some changes done within, I believe, the ATP. And they felt, and I don't know all the details yet, so this is coming out just in the last 24 hours. It's going to continue to evolve in the next few days. I'm just going to give you a little background, a little history which is that when the ATP was originally formed, there was a player union. And then in the late 80s, in fact, I was involved in uh, sort of a protest that happened in 88, I believe it was, outside the par in the parking lot because the USTA, the US Open, wouldn't let us on the grounds of the ATP forming its own tour, okay, and having the tournaments and the players join together. And that's worked really well. I mean, the big tour events have grown over the years, just, just as the majors have grown. So if you look at tennis from the standpoint of where it was and where it's come, it's grown exponentially. So a lot of the pushback coming against this proposal of forming this own, the players forming their own union, is coming from people that want to keep the status quo, that think we need to give the new player council a chance. You heard that from um, Andy Murray. You've also heard comments from Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. And then you've also heard comments say, how come the women aren't involved? 
where are the women in this? How come you didn't consult with the women's tour? So uh, apparently they didn't. And apparently they didn't even consult with a lot of the top players. You know, Milos Raonic said he, this is the first he's heard of it. This is a guy who's been a top 10 player, well-spoken, very thoughtful guy. Um, he's, he's very interested and involved in, in the politics and the stuff going on. They asked him about it uh, when he, after he lost to Djokovic in the final yesterday. Didn't, didn't know anything about it. So a lot of the pushback, I believe, is coming from the fact that people were caught off guard that this was happening. Now, Djokovic says, listen, this has been happening behind the scenes. We've been pushing. For, and he's right. Okay, he's right about the fact that players, and he brought up Andy Roddick, uh, the great American player, the last American man to win a major, had brought this up years ago. So we've all brought this up, that, and I believe it should happen at some point, that the players should have their own union. They've always got to negotiate, whether it's with the slams, whether it's with the ATP. Uh, it would be great if the women and the men came together. I think that would be beneficial to, for both tours and for the players. So this is going to play out again. I don't have the answers to all this. All I can tell you that I think Djokovic, he gets, he gets a hard time, and he's spending a lot of energy, emotional energy, that um, you could see even in, in the, uh, during the Western and Southern Open. He was like fried. He was having some other issues with the neck and the stomach. Batista Agu took him to three, you know, three hours in that match in the semis and all this off-court stuff. I mean, Federer and Nadal were on the council, by the way, a number of years ago, and they, they bagged it after all because they're like, this is too much. Like, we got to just concentrate on the tennis. We Obviously, we'll try to stay involved. It does take a lot of energy. I've been involved in some of the politics with the ATP, obviously with the USTA in my position, but I wasn't a player at that point. So, and then these guys are the greatest players of all time. And by the way, someone said to me on Twitter, when are you going to admit that Djokovic is the greatest of all time? Um, I will admit that when he passes Federer or, or at least ties him because he's certainly on his way and he's like at 17 majors. Okay. So we could go on and on and we will, and I might even get my man, Darren Cahill to come on and talk to me about the player union issue. Cause I think it, it deserves a lot more time, but I want to quickly run through the men's field because Djokovic is a huge favorite. He got Zumer first um, on opening night, Monday night. There's really the only danger player I see for Djokovic in the first week of the tournament would be John Isner, okay? Because he's in this, he's a seeded to play him in the round of 16. Obviously, Djokovic would be is a huge favorite against anyone, but Isner's the kind of guy, especially in these conditions with the pretty fast courts. I mean, he can he can take the racket out of Djokovic's hands with the serve. Now, in best of five, it's highly unlikely that he can do that um, over the course of a best of five. But two out of three, I'd give him a better shot. But Isner's got Stevie Johnson, who's actually got a winning record against him in the opening round, another American. So we'll see how that plays out. But Djokovic is a monster favorite. You've got uh, Goffin would be the first top seed he would meet. He's the seventh seed. He, that would be like a, make mincemeat out of him uh, with Djokovic. But Goffin's got Riley Opelka, which is a very interesting first match, first round match, provided Opelka's 100%. I think Opelka, another question a lot of people ask me, who's got the best chance of the Americans? If Opelka were 100% healthy, I would say him. Okay, now obviously I don't expect him to get past um, Djokovic if he got that far. But uh, his knee was an issue. He had to pull out of his match with Tsitsipas. But I love the way he looks. He's improved a lot. Taylor Fritz is a seed. He's seeded 19 here. Uh, the man from SoCal, 
He can make a run. Um, Shapovalov also in that section. I would like to see that. Shapovalov and Fritz in the third round would be good. I'd have to give the edge to the Canadian. Shapovalov, a little more athletic, a little more firepower. Then you've got Sitsipas. Okay, the four seed. Dangerous. I mean, very dangerous. He got beaten uh, by Raonic. He had a set point in the first set in the Western and Southern. But I like the way he's looking. He looks to me like really composed, a little more together, maneuvering the ball beautifully, coming in. I think he should even look to come in even more on these quick courts. Uh, he's got Zverev is a five seed, so they're due to play in the quarters. Uh, Zverev's got Kevin Anderson tomorrow, uh, the former U.S. Open finalist and Wimbledon finalist, but he's, he's recovering from some injury issues, so I, I don't expect him to be a huge factor. Uh, I think Sitsipas gets through this section. I'd love to see Sitsipas in the semis. I think he's playing that well, and I think the quick court, pretty good for him. All right, bottom half of the draw, of course, team the number two seed looked horrendous in the Western and Southern, but played on an outside court where he probably won't play during the Open, got smoked by Krajinovic, was not used to the quickness of the courts. Uh, I expect that will change for him. He'll play on the two bigger courts, Armstrong and Ash, which are slightly slower. Uh, we saw what team could do in Australia. He's got, and, and more importantly, at least to me, for the first few rounds, he's got a pretty good draw to get through the first couple rounds. So I expect him to sort of play his way into it. Chilich. Could be dangerous in the third round for team. But by that point, I think he'll have his rhythm and his timing. And I think he over, it just overwhelms Chilich, who I don't think looks nearly as good as, you know, obviously won the U.S. Open. But even uh, in, the, in the last couple of years, I think he's lost a little bit of a step. Oje Aliassim in this section, the talented Canadian, but he's having serving issues. To get, and Andy Murray's in this section. Okay, Murray um, looked pretty good. The question for him is can he handle the best of five and come back? Uh, and play again. So you've got Daniel Evans, the, uh, the, the highest-ranked player from Great Britain, who's pretty crafty. And uh, I would like to see, well, I'd like to see Murray, Oje Aliassim, that would be round two, then Evans potentially, and then team. So Murray you know, could make some noise, but biggest question is how he recovers from a tough five-setter, and can he bounce back? Then you've got Medvedev, okay? we got to talk about him because he's the second favorite for most people uh, including myself, Del Bonus. He's gotten the opening round. Uh, and then, you know, Dimitrov is in his section, but I think he can take care of him. Berrettini, uh, the Italian who had a great run last year uh, to get through to the semifinals. Raonic uh, and Batista Agu also in, actually they're in the top section of the bottom half, so they could end up against team. I like Medvedev to get through to the semis. Uh, Benoit Pair, by the way, pulled out of the draw as he tested positive for COVID-19. Okay, that just happened in the last 24 hours as well. We were informed of that this morning. He was seeded from France. He was replaced in the draw by Granoliers. The USCA is now doing its uh, contact tracing to find out who he was in touch with, uh, other French players, um, and so on. So more to come on that. But Pair is out, okay, of the tournament. Uh, at the moment as he tested positive. Remember, he pulled out of the Western and Southern, wasn't feeling well. Now, he had already gotten tested at that point, obviously, because we get tests. I've already gotten tested four times, and I'm not even a player. So, But the players are on the same sort of routine as we are uh, in the ESPN broadcast team. So Paired likely tested negative. Not likely, definitely did. Uh, and then, I guess, as we know, this thing can in incubate this, this uh, virus over time. And then, lo and behold, a few days later, 
he tests uh, positive. So that issue will, will continue to evolve. The other one I want to mention in the bottom half is, is Andre Rublev, who was one of the hottest players to start the year, won a couple of titles, played pretty well in Australia. He's the 10 seed. So he's due to play Berrettini. Uh, actually, that's a section where Pear was in that section that they put in Marcel Granoliers as an alternate. Um, I think I like Rublev in that section. So, look, it's Djokovic and everyone else. As we said today, if you saw our show on SportsCenter, that's uh, what it looks like. It will be very, very interesting. I hope you all join in. Listen. Uh, listen to the silence. It will be a lot quieter than normal this year at the 2020 U.S. Open. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.